Hey, welcome to DitchMedics.com. Uh, this is Podcast 4. Today we're talking about arterial blood gas interpretation, and specifically how this pertains to us as pre-hospital providers. Uh, that's our topic. Let's get to it. Welcome to another Ditch Medics podcast. We're bringing advanced care to the EMS trenches. Here, we believe in the critical care mindset in a 911 world. Expanding your knowledge in three, two, one. I'm Derek. I'll be your host again. Today's discussion is arterial blood gas values and interpretation of that knowledge, and more importantly, why that is even remotely important to you as a pre-hospital provider. Uh, that's that's the question of the day, is why is this important? And I hope to show you that, and I hope to, to clarify that for you as we go along. But first, I want to remind you, uh, make sure you uh, like us on Facebook, make sure you follow us on Twitter, Make sure, importantly, you sign up for our email subscriber list. Uh, why the email subscriber list? That's how we communicate with you. Uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna load you down with a bunch of spam, a bunch of email daily, uh, multiple times a day. We're talking about one, two times a week. I'm gonna send you an email. It's gonna talk about new posts. It's gonna talk about anything going on at DitchMedics.com. It's gonna talk about any promotions, um, any special events that we're having. Um, it's, it's how I'm going to communicate with you. So make sure you follow us through social media, make, make sure you sign up for the subscriber list, uh, and make sure you keep in touch with us because that's, that's how we keep in touch with you. Um, thanks for joining us today. Whether this is your, your first time here or, or you're back for a repeat visit, thanks for being here. Um, thanks for supporting us. Uh, this whole ditch medics project is, is about advancing the level of pre-hospital care incorporating other aspects of medicine, other disciplines, uh, you know, especially looking at that critical care mindset uh, and applying it to a 911 patient population and how that can make us better providers. Uh, today's topic is a great example of that. We're talking about ABG interpretation. Most of you are at least aware of arterial blood gas interpretation, um, but you're wondering, why is this even remotely applicable to me? Um, I'm a paramedic. I don't have labs in my ambulance. I don't. I don't even have an iStat machine to to assess an ABG. I, I can't get ABGs in the field. So why is this even remotely important to me? Well, this is one of those prime prime examples of where other disciplines, you know, hospital-based medicine, for instance, critical care medicine, uh, can make us better pre-hospital providers because understanding ABGs, understanding what they represent, uh, prepares us. To, to, to be in a position to deal with patients that we might not otherwise be in a position to deal with. If I understand the physiology and the pathophysiology of ABG interpretation, I can predict when certain patient populations are, are at risk for declining quickly, or I can predict when I'm going to have to use a certain intervention with a patient to, to get a positive outcome because of my knowledge of, of, of the physiology and pathophysiology of acid-base balance. And that's what we're talking about. That's what ABGs represent, is acid-base balance homeostasis. It's that chapter back in paramedic school that you had to fight to stay awake in. That's okay, but I'm here to tell you, if you understand acid-base balance, and if you understand how ABG interpretation applies to that acid-base balance, you are going to be so better prepared to deal with really sick and injured patients in a pre-hospital setting. 
And that's what we're here for. That's why we're talking about this. So let's get to it. Let's break it down. This is going to be simple today. I'm not going to delve too far in the depths of a ABG interpretation uh, because you can get really down into that science. Uh, but I want to keep it. I want to keep it simple but informative. I definitely don't want to break this down and dummy it down. I want I want you to understand what ABG interpretation represents. Uh, so so let's get to it. So like like we said, ABG represents acid base homeostasis. Uh, in order to understand ABG interpretation, we have to we have to define a few of the of the metrics of ABG values. Um, specifically, when we look at ABGs, we're looking at a pH level, uh, we're looking at a CO2 level, we're looking at a bicarb level, and we're looking at an oxygen level in that arterial blood. And that's going to tell us a lot about the metabolic component, the respiratory component of that patient. Let's define these uh, specifically, and then we'll talk about normal versus abnormal. Okay, so normal pH value is going to be 7.35 to 7.45, well, with obviously a 7.4 is, is kind of the middle range of that. And it's critical that we remember that 7.4 value because anything less than 7.4 is going to be acidosis. Anything greater than 7.4 is going to be alkalosis. And that's going to be a critical step in, in making this ABG interpretation. So 7.35 to 7.45 with 7.4 is that middle ground. All right, we're going to look at CO2. And what CO2 is representation of is the respiratory component of this equation. Uh, any derangement in the CO2 is going to be of respiratory nature. Uh, and that's going to be critical for understanding in regards to intervention. So a normal CO2 level is 35 to 45. Anything less than 35 is going to be alkalosis or respiratory alkalosis. Anything greater than 45 is going to be acidosis, respiratory acidosis. Um, and that's our CO2 value. Bicarb, or HCO3, is going to be the metabolic component of this equation. Any derangement in the bicarb is going to be of metabolic origin. Normal value is 22 to 26. Anything less than 22 is going to be on the acidosis side, so metabolic acidosis. Anything greater than 26 is going to be on the alkalosis side, or, or, or metabolic alkalosis. That's the, the, the bicarb uh, component. And lastly, oxygen, uh, the PaO2, 80 to 100 is our normal range. Anything less than 80 is going to be on the hypoxia side. Anything greater than 100 will technically be on the hyperoxia side. And that's how we assess that value. All right, so that's normal. That's, that's the normal values. That's, that's the benchmarks that we're going to utilize for our ABG interpretation. And, and it's, it's important that we commit those benchmarks to memory. Uh, because when we actually get an environment, we're actually being handed an ABG study uh, and we're looking at it. It's critical that we know those numbers. Uh, but more so, it's, it's critical that we know uh, what those numbers mean, what those numbers represent. Uh, so we've got to memorize the numbers. And then on top of that, we've got to remember what those numbers represent because that's going to guide our assessment. It's going to guide our treatment. Because uh, going back to what we said uh, a little bit ago, we may not have an ABG study in hand. We won't have an ABG study in hand in a pre-hospital environment. But when I know certain patient populations uh, are going to be predisposed to exhibiting, for instance, let's say metabolic alkalosis or respiratory acidosis, that's going to guide my assessment. It's going to guide my treatment. It's going to guide my interventions. And that's, that's the selling point of all of this. Uh, so let's look at the system for interpreting those numbers because we got the numbers. We know what those means. Let's look at how we're actually going to interpret an ABG. And then we're going to spin this into a few examples and, and talk about kind of where this meets us in the in the 911 world. Okay, ABG interpretation. 
Uh, this is a system, no different than, than airway management is a system. EKG interpretation is a system. You know, most things in medicine are about a system-driven process, and, and, and ABG interpretation is no different. We're going to follow a system. Now, there's several different systems out there that we can prescribe to, but the system I'm going to offer you today is simple. It's intuitive. It, it's great. It's, it, it's, a, it's a very, very simple process. So, so here we go. First things first, uh, we, we've got all of our metrics. We've got our pH. We've got our CO2. We've got our bicarb. We've got our oxygen. First things first, I want to look at my pH. All I want to look at is, is it acidotic? Is it alkalotic? Which side of the spectrum am I on? I remember that 7.4 is that dividing line. Which side? Very quickly, I want to determine, is this acidosis? Is this alkalosis? First step. Okay, second step. I want to find the matching component. I want to look at my CO2. I want to look at my bicarb. I want to determine which one of those is the matching component. Which one of those is, is the same as my pH determination. So if I'm acidosis in my pH, I want to find which one of those, either CO2 or bicarb, is causing that acidosis and matches that acidosis. That's my second step. So I've identified it's either respiratory in nature or it's metabolic in nature or it's potentially mixed, both of them in nature. But that's my second step. Okay, my third step, I want to look, is there a compensatory response? So when I identified what my cause was, whether it be respiratory or metabolic in nature, is there a compensatory response on the other side? So if I have respiratory acidosis, do I see a metabolic compensation to the alkalosis side? And that's, that's a key determination. That, that kind of is going to tell me where in the spectrum of response from the body is this patient uh, when I'm looking at an ABG. So I've determined either acidosis or alkalosis, I've determined the matching component, whether it's respiratory or whether it's, it's, it's metabolic. And next step, I'm going to determine, is there a compensatory response? So if I have an acidosis, do I see an alkalosis on the other component? Um, and that's my, that's my next step. And what we'll do, that kind of gives you the, the general system, or at least the system as we've discussed it thus far. But what we'll do is we'll, we'll go through a few examples, and we'll, we'll put this into context of, of actually interpreting an ABG. And, and I think this will really kind of bring it all together. Okay, for example one, uh, here's my ABG. I've got a pH of 7.38. I've got a CO2 of 50. And I've got a bicarb, an HCO3 of 30. So let's break that down according to our system. First step, we want to look at the pH and we want to quickly determine is this acidosis, is this alkalosis? Well, my pH with this patient is 7.38. Now remember, anything less than 7.4 is acidosis, so, so I obviously have an acidotic patient. Next thing, I want to find the matching component. I want to look at my CO2, I want to look at my bicarb, and I want to determine which of those is causing that acidosis in this patient. So I look at my CO2, I've got 50. I look at my bicarb, I've got 30. The only one of those that in this case is, is acidotic is my CO2. It's greater than 45. So it's, it's a respiratory-based acidosis. My next step is I want to determine is there a compensatory response. So I've determined already it's acidosis. I've determined that CO2 is the cause, so I've got respiratory acidosis. 
The next step is I want to look at my bicarb in this case and determine is there is there an alkalotic, an opposite or a compensatory response from that metabolic side. And my bicarb is 30, which is greater than 26. So going back to my metrics, going back to my, my baseline levels, I know that that is a metabolic alkalosis. So in this case, I do have a compensatory response. Now I want to determine is that a full compensation or is that a partial compensation? And how I do that is I look back at my pH level. Is my pH level within that normal range of 7.35 to 7.45? In this case, it's 7.38. So it is in the normal range. So I have full compensation. So what I have, my ABG interpretation in this first example, is a fully compensated respiratory acidosis. And that's it. And that's how my system works. That's it. I shouldn't say my system. I, I didn't come up with this. I was taught this. This is a really easy system that I kind of fell in love with. But that's how this system works is, is just step-by-step examination of those ABG values. And I think this is really important. And that's why I'm going to the trouble of talking about how to interpret these actual ABG studies. Because whether or not you're doing this, now if you're, if you're in the critical care world, this is a part of your life. You're inheriting patients, whether that be ground transport or, or, or the flight world, you're inheriting patients that frequently are in severe distress and have these ABG values available to you. So, so you obviously, in that case, need to know how to interpret these. But even outside of the critical care world, it's, it's, it's very important that even in the, the 911 world, uh, the emergency transport world, that we understand these ABG values, because as we'll get into, as we go through these examples and we break down the causes uh, of these of these different ABG derangements, you'll see how it affects affects your patients. You'll see how oftentimes you're dealing with patients that are in respiratory acidosis or metabolic acidosis, and how treatments are aimed at correcting those derangements. Even if you don't have these ABG studies in hand, this is going to help you as a provider to understand what's going on with your patient. Uh, so, so I thought it critical, and I think it critical, that w- you understand how to interpret these ABG studies. It makes you a better clinician to begin with. Uh, we should attempt to raise the bar. And secondly, this has practical application into the patients that you're going to be dealing with. Okay, example number two. Uh, here's, our, here's our ABG values. We've got a pH of 7.50. We've got a CO2 of 55. We've got a bicarb of 38, and we've got a PaO2 uh, that we're including this time of 85. And we'll talk about the, the oxygen here in a second. All right, let's go back to our system. First and foremost, we're going to look at that pH level, and we're going to determine acidosis, alkalosis. pH is 7.5. We know anything greater than 7.45 is, is alkalosis. So we've got alkalosis. Now let's go down to our... CO2 and our bicarb and determine which component matches that alkalosis. CO2 is 55. That doesn't match. Bicarb is 38. That does match. So in this case, we have a metabolic-based alkalosis. All right, now let's determine compensation. So since we have a metabolic-based alkalosis, let's look back at our CO2 and determine is there a respiratory compensation for this. Our CO2 is 55. We know that's acidosis, opposite of our alkalosis, so we do have compensation. Now let's look back up at our pH, where it all started. We're at 7.50. 
which is outside of normal range. So that's, 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 a new, that's a new paradigm here. So let's talk about this. We have a metabolic base alkalosis with compensation, but it's not fully compensated because it hasn't brought that pH back into normal range, so it's only partially compensated. So our ABG interpretation in example number two is a partially compensated metabolic alkalosis. Now let's throw in that oxygen because we, we said that's a component of our ABG interpretation. And basically when I look at the oxygen, the PaO2, uh, in regards to ABG interpretation, what I'm looking for is, once again, 80 to 100 is my normal range. Do I have hypoxia? Do I have less than 80? Or do I have hyperoxia? Now, I'm less concerned in the acute setting with hyperoxia. Too much oxygen in, in, in the acute setting, I'm not too worried about it. Now, we can make some argument in the chronic setting that, that that's, that's a problem. Uh, but right here and now, for a standpoint of AG, ABG interpretation, not worried about over 100. What I am worried about is less than 80. If I have a patient that's, that's hypoxic, certainly I'm going to have to look at why might they be hypoxic? What, and what, can I, what can I do about that? So in this case, my, my PaO2 is 85. Uh, that's between 80 and 100, so not concerned. I've got a normal oxygen level, so um, my ABG interpretation stands. Now, if, if they were hypoxic, in this case, I would have a partially compensated metabolic alkalosis with hypoxia. All right, let's move on to the next example. Example three, here are our values. We've got a pH of 7.27. We've got a CO2 of 60. We've got a bicarb of 25. And we've got an oxygen or a PaO2 of 68. All right, so let's go through our steps first and foremost. Let's look at our pH. Do we have acidosis? Do we have alkalosis? 7.27, we have acidosis. All right, now let's find the matching component. Let's look at our CO2. Let's look at our bicarb. Our CO2 is 60. Our bicarb is 25. Well, we know 60 is acidosis. It's greater than 45. So we have respiratory acidosis. All right, so let's look at our compensatory factors. Uh, let's look at our bicarb. It's 25. A normal range, once again, 22 to 26. So our bicarb's within normal range. So we, in this case, we don't have a compensatory uh, factor. We don't have any compensation going on. So we have a respiratory base acidosis that's not compensated. Otherwise, our, known as our ABG interpretation in this case will be uncompensated respiratory acidosis. Now let's look at our action level. That's kind of a, a last step here. Our PaO2 is 68. So that's less than 80. That's hypoxia. That's a cause for concern. Like we said, in the emergency acute setting, Hypoxia, very much cause for concern. We're going to have to look at why and what we can do about it. So our full ABG interpretation in this case is going to be an uncompensated respiratory acidosis with hypoxia. And that's example three. All right, let's move on. All right, example four. Here, here are our ABG values. We've got a pH of 7.25. We've got a CO2 of 58. We've got a bicarb of 18. And we got a PaO2 of 100. So let's go through our steps. First step, pH. Acidosis or alkalosis? 7.25, we've got acidosis. That's step one. Step two, let's look at our components. Which one matches? Uh, is, it, is it CO2? 
or is it bicarb? Well, CO2, CO2 is, is 58, so that matches. But wait a second, let's look at bicarb, 18, that matches also. Uh, so, so what do we got? We've got two components, our respiratory and our metabolic components are both exhibiting acidosis, matching our pH, uh, which in this case, what we call this is, is, is a mixed acidosis. Both our, our respiratory, our CO2, and our, and our metabolic, our bicarb, are in an acidotic state, matching our pH level. We have mixed acidosis, um, which in this case, we've got, a, we've got an O2 of 100. That's a normal range. Uh, so that's, that's, that's our terminology for this one. We're calling this a mixed acidosis, which with this mixed acidosis, you know, these patients could be super sick. They, they've, got, they've got respiratory and metabolic derangement, making their treatment, making their interventions uh, a little more complex. All right, so four examples, uh, kind of running the gamut of, of the, the definitions, the criterion of these ABG interpretation. Uh, but if we break down our steps, once again, it's very simple. We look at the pH. Is it acidosis? Is it alkalosis? We find that matching component. Is this respiratory in nature or is this metabolic in nature? All right, next we look at the compensatory factor. We look at our opposite component uh, and we determine, is there a compensation to that derangement? And then we look at what kind of compensation or what level of compensation uh, so did that compensation bring our pH back into a normal range or did it not yet bring that pH back into a normal range? If the pH is all the way back into the normal range, the 7.35 to 7.45, we have full compensation. Uh, but if the pH lies outside that normal range, um, but yet we have that compensatory response, we only have partial compensation. But if there's no compensatory response at all on that opposite component, uh, we have an uncompensated uh, situation. Uh, finally, we look at our, at our oxygen level. Do we have hypoxia? Do we have hyperoxia uh, of note? Uh, if we have hypoxia, certainly, uh, once again, in an acute setting, that's, that goes into our, our ABG interpretation also. So that's it. That's our ABG interpretation system. Like we said at the beginning of this whole process, this is system-driven. We want to go through those steps every time when we look at an ABG uh, and that way we'll know that we are hitting all of that aspects of that ABG interpretation without missing something. And that's the system. Okay, so we, we've talked about our system. We've talked about how we actually interpret the ABG values. Two things. You should know this. This is physiology. This is, this is pathophysiology. This is all going into why your patient is sick and why they're getting sicker. It's critical that you know these things. It's critical that we raise the bar of our education, of our training level. Uh, and secondly, knowing the process is going to help you intervene in, in your patients. Uh, once again, let's talk about that. Let's break some of this down and look at how we can intervene and how we can, um, the knowledge of, of ABG values and, and, the, and the physiology of that can help us treat our patients. So respiratory acidosis, we talked about CO2 values greater than 45, our patients were exhibiting respiratory acidosis. Well, this is a great one for us to start out with because what tool do we have to assess CO2 in a patient? Uh, because this is something we can't assess, assess right? 
Well, entitled CO2. We have the capability to assess entitled CO2 in our patients. So 35 to 45 is kind of our, our normal metric in entitled CO2. We know that greater than 45, our patients are, are, are exhibiting acidosis from that entitled. Less than 35, our patients are exhibiting alkalosis. Uh, so what patient populations, talking about respiratory acidosis, what patient populations uh, potentially are going to be in that criteria? Well, we're looking at patients that are hypoventilated, right? So uh, patients that are obtunded, uh, whether that be through traumatic or medical cause, patients that have some measure of sedation, uh, overdose patients. Um, so patients that, that aren't fully oriented uh, and have some level of mentation change are these patients. Patients that are paralyzed, um, have been in traumas, and now are, are paralyzed and don't have that normal diaphragmatic movement, don't have that normal respiratory cycle, are going to be hypoventilated. Um, what other patient populations are going to be um, have high CO2 values? Any disease process that's going to have an increased metabolic rate. Remember, CO2 is basically the exhaust of metabolism. So any disease process that is going to cause that increased metabolism is going to cause high CO2 levels. For instance, a, a fever, a simple, a simple hyperthermic condition uh, in a patient can cause uh, that increased CO2 level and thus you know, a respiratory acidotic state. Well, how, do, how does your body respond to respiratory acidosis? And specifically, our compensatory aspect of, of respiratory acidosis is going to be a metabolic alkalosis, which is basically a, a renal response. Our, our body kicks in the renal system. Our kidneys attempt to reabsorb bicarb uh, and attempts to compensate through that bicarb buffer uh, route, uh, which is a, a pretty slow process. So our body's response to respiratory acidosis is going to be a, a slow response if it can't compensate by, by naturally increasing the respiratory rate, which, remember, is overwhelmingly probably the cause of respiratory acidosis. So as, as providers, if we have a patient that's, that's hypoventilated, whether that be through obstruction, whether that be through sedation slash mental status change, whether that be through trauma, where I've got paralysis of the diaphragm and a chest wall, whatever the cause of hypoventilation, I know I'm going to intervene through supporting ventilations in that case. I'm going to attempt to increase that respiratory rate for the patient, uh, thus increasing the off-gassing of CO2, and thus providing pretty immediate compensation through that ventilatory support. So I've talked about several times why it's critical for you to understand this and how under simply understanding the physiology of acid-base balance and ABG interpretation is going to prepare you to respond correctly for patients in regards to intervention. Uh, here's, here's a prime example, and that's respiratory acidosis. Here, here's, a, here's a key fact uh, with, with acid-base balance and ABG balance in our patients. A, a one millimeter of mercury change in the CO2 above or below 40 has a 0 0.008 uh, inverse response in the pH. So let's put that into an example. So my patient is hypoventilated. My patient is, let's say, obtunded. Uh, they're exhibiting reduced mental status. 
whatever the cause, but they're hypoventilated. Unbeknownst to me, I don't know the exact values, but let's let's put some values on it. Just put it, this in the context for our example. Uh, they're they're already acidotic. Their their pH is seven point two. Their CO two level is fifty five. So they're obviously in a respiratory acidosis. So I said that a, a one millimeter of mercury change in that CO two was going to result in an inverse change in the pH at a, at a rate of point zero zero eight. So let's say my, my CO2 goes up to 65. So it's actually gone up 10 points because of, of continued hypoventilation. Uh, so doing the math, 0 0.008 for every one change becomes 0 0.08 uh, with that 10 increase in my CO2. So now my pH is 7.12. I've gone from a pH of already acidotic 7.20 to a pH of 7.12 uh, because of that continued or worsening hypoventilation. And I can assure you, acidosis at a range of 7.12 is a heck of a lot worse than 7.20. Your patients are going to be gravely ill uh, at that level, certainly with an acute um, acidosis. So a simple increase in that CO2 from, from 55 to 65 may not seem like a big value to you when you're when you're monitoring that end title, um, but it's having profound consequences on the inside of our patients uh, with that with that pH level. If we can manage that end title CO2, if we can prevent that CO2 from from increasing because of that hypoventilation, because of rapid intervention, and we can work to correct that CO2, we can work to stabilize that pH in, in our patient and have better outcomes in the, in the long run. And that's what this is all about. That's a prime example of where this knowledge helps us understand why we're doing what we're doing and, and how that impacts our patient. All right, next let's talk about respiratory alkalosis. Uh, that's where our CO2 level, remember, is going to be less than 35. Our primary causes of this are hyperventilation, uh, increased rate and depth, anything that causes that increased minute ventilation uh, where our tidal volume is increased, or our rates increase, uh, and we're off-gassing too much CO2. Well, our body's compensatory mechanism, if it can't slow the rate down for whatever reason, uh, is going to be uh, in the renal system. Once again, the kidneys are going to, in the medium term, attempt to excrete more bicarb quickly, uh, causing a metabolic compensation and then kind of inducing that metabolic acidosis to compensate to that respiratory alkalosis. Uh, but what we as providers are typically going to try to do is decrease that respiratory rate, decrease that minute ventilation. Is our, is our patient anxious? Are they exhibiting no signs of an anxiety-based issue? Do we need to coach their breathing? Uh, do we need to get that minute ventilation down through coached respiratory management? Is our patient in pain? Uh, have they, you know, do they have trauma? Do they have a broken extremity? Do they have something that's causing them a great amount of pain? It's causing that physiological, you know, response, that tachypnea, that hyperpnea. Do we need to provide some analgesia to manage that pain? What can we do to bring that minute ventilation down and thus have a quick response uh, to that respiratory alkalosis? All right, metabolic acidosis. Uh, what's going to be our causes of metabolic acidosis? Uh, our patients that have had profound diarrhea, that have profound dehydration, our patients that are in renal failure, 
and thus uh, they have all kinds of issues with that bicarb management. Uh, our patients that are in DKA um, is, is a great example of patients that we're going to be occasionally managing in a pre-hospital setting uh, that are in metabolic acidosis. Uh, these DKA patients are severely acidotic. Um, and so it's critical that we understand that preemptively and we understand that, that managing that DKA patient is going to be in large part about returning that pH back to normal. Certain toxin drug overdoses are going to cause um, metabolic acidosis in our patients. Um, but the, the primary patients that we're looking at that are going to be in metabolic acidosis are, are our DKA patients, are our patients that have been acutely ill, very, very sick uh, for, 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 for some duration of days, patients with severe diarrhea, severe dehydration, uh, these patients are going to be uh, potentially uh, metabolic acidotic. Pretty much any disease process that's going to cause that lactic acidosis is going to cause that metabolic acidosis. Well, how will our patients' bodies compensate for this? So remember, metabolic acidosis, I've got, I've got a bicarb of less than 22. Our patients are going to respond in the respiratory compensatory factor. They're going to respond by increasing that minute ventilation. Think about DKA, because this is such a great example of how our patients respond to metabolic acidosis. What do our patients in, in DKA, uh, severe DKA, present with respiratory-wise? They present with the, with the Kussmaul's respirations, the, the deep, fast breathing. And why are they doing that? They're doing that as a compensatory mechanism. They're doing that because they've increased their minute ventilation, minute ventilation. They've lowered their CO2 level into the respiratory alkalotic range to compensate for that metabolic acidosis. And why, why, is this, why is this, once again, tying this into why this is critical for us? Because in these patient populations, uh, we want to promote that increased minute ventilation. If I encounter a patient that I suspect to be potentially metabolic acidosis, I want to promote uh, them keeping that increased uh, minute ventilation. So if for whatever reason I'm securing their airway, or if I'm putting them on a vent, or if I'm simply initiating, initiating bag valve mass ventilations, I don't want to drop these patients back down to a respiratory rate of 12 because that's going to promote an increase in that CO2 a worsening of that acidosis, and my patients are going to decline really quickly. So in these patient populations, if I'm doing any type of airway maneuvers, if I'm doing any type of ventilatory support, I want to, I want to support that ventilation rate at that high level. If they're breathing 40 times a minute, I want to support it at that high level. I want to keep that respiratory alkalosis so I can keep that acidosis in check. And that's, that's how we tie in this metabolic acidosis to us in the pre-hospital world if I've got a DKA patient that's breathing 40 times a minute uh, and is becoming obtunded and I've got to worry about airway interventions, i got to remember that respiratory rate is 40 for a reason, and, and I want to support it at that. All right, moving on to metabolic alkalosis causes. Uh, primarily, what we're going to be looking at is diuretic use. Any patient that's, that's potentially uh, using antacids excessively can cause metabolic alkalosis, uh, severe prolonged vomiting, 
uh, where the patient is vomiting out their, their gastric acid uh, can, can cause a metabolic alkalosis. And any patient that's, that's and these are more hospital-based, but, but certainly good knowledge, any patient that's on prolonged NG suctioning, uh, nasogastric suctioning, uh, where we're, we're pulling out the, that gastric acid um, can potentially uh, slip into a metabolic alkalosis. Where our body's compensatory aspect of this is going to be, once again, in the respiratory compensation mode, our body's going to attempt to decrease that minute ventilation. They're going to slow down the respiratory rate. They're going to decrease the tidal volume. It's going gonna, it's gonna to attempt to cause a respiratory acidosis to compensate for the metabolic alkalosis. Um, once again, it's, it's, it's always that inverse response. If I have a respiratory acidosis, my body's going to attempt to compensate through a metabolic alkalosis. So it's, it's that game of opposites. It's pretty easy to, to think about it that way. What can I do pre-hospitally for my, for my metabolic alkalosis patients? Really not a whole hell of a lot. I mean, metabolic alkalosis sucks. I mean, from a standpoint of, of, of these patients can be pretty sick. And really, I don't have a lot of pre-hospital treatments. Anecdotally, kind of, uh, you know, logically, what we can think about is giving them a little normal saline. You think about a patient that's got a predisposing factor, excessive diuretic use, you know, maybe maybe excessive vomiting. They're symptomatic. They're exhibiting things like the depressed respiratory drive, the lower minute ventilation. I go ahead and start an IV, give them a little normal saline. It's not going to hurt them. In fact, it might help them out a little bit. The normal saline's uh, pH is usually in that 5.5 range, which is certainly uh, acidic. So that's going to help not fix the problem, but maybe get a little push in the in the right direction from a pre-hospital standpoint. Uh, certainly not going to hurt them. So really, that's about it in regards to, to treatment and considerations for metabolic alkalosis. Okay, well, in review, we've talked about why it's important to understand the physiology of acid-base balance, and specifically as that pertains to our topic today, ABG interpretation. We've talked about the system. Um, well, we first defined the metrics of ABG interpretation. Then we talked about the system for actually interpreting those values. And then we put it into a few examples. And lastly, we, we talked about the, the specific categories of uh, respiratory acidosis, respiratory alkalosis, metabolic acidosis, metabolic alkalosis, and how our body responds to those, or what the causes are, how our body responds to those, and how we as pre-hospital providers can respond to those situations. Uh, and there's some critical aspects that we talked about that, you know, are going to prepare us uh, to, to either predict patient deterioration or anticipate when we can intervene to prevent that that deterioration based off of suspected, for instance, metabolic acidosis or respiratory acidosis or whatever the case may be. So while this is definitely kind of a hospital-based mindset, knowledge of this of this acid-based balance in this ABG interpretation makes us better providers in the pre-hospital setting. And, and that's what we're here for. You know, I can tell you once again anecdotally that this knowledge, understanding the physiology and the pathophysiology of this has made me a better provider. It's made me know, for instance, if I, like I said, if I'm going to intubate somebody um, that's potentially in metabolic acidosis, I know this is a patient I need to get intubated quickly. I don't need this patient to be 
hypoventilated for a prolonged period of time because I know, once again, for every one millimeter of mercury change in my CO2 level, I'm going to have that inverse response in my pH level of 0 0.008. Uh, so if my CO2, once again, jumps from 55 to 65, my pH is going to go down 0 0.08. And that's a significant drop in a potentially already acidotic patient. Our patients are going to die quickly with those types of, of precipitous drops. So knowledge simply of that example is going to prepare me as somebody that manages airways in a pre-hospital setting to have all my ducks in a row, to manage this airway, uh, to make sure I've, I've got all my options available to me so this patient doesn't become hypoventilated uh, and this patient doesn't have a, have a drop in that pH level. Okay, well, thanks thanks for sticking it out with me. I, I hope you learned something. I, I hope you can take some knowledge from this discussion about ABGs and specifically how ABGs work and what it all means and put it into your practice uh, to, to make you a better a better pre-hospital provider. Because that's, that's what this discussion is, once again, about, is improving our pre-hospital care. Um, I'm Derek. Once again, thanks for joining me. Uh, please leave me some feedback, whether that be in the form of a comment on Facebook, whether that be an email, whether it be in the comment forms on the, on the, on the site, ditchmedics.com. Uh, get a hold of me somehow. Let me know what you think of the post. Let me know what you think of the site, what you would like us to do differently. Uh, maybe some ideas for, for posts you would like to see in the future. We love this. We love sharing this knowledge uh, and we love hearing your feedback. So thanks for joining me. Uh, be safe out there. Thanks for listening to another Ditch Medics podcast. Leave us some feedback or a rating. Contact us by email or on Facebook and Twitter. And don't forget to visit us at ditchmedics.com.